T-minus 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents. John Rosemond. People like this are a menace to decent society. Call in now about anything from toddlers to teens, even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living. Let's not talk about it in front of the boy. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond. Hi there, and welcome to Because I Said So. I'm John Rosemond, uh, your host. I'm a psychologist who doesn't believe in psychology. I have long maintained that mental health professionals, in effect, troll for clients by inventing disorders and then convincing people they have said disorders and need professional help. Take, for example, autism spectrum disorder, which is apparently defined as anything other than completely normal, which, of course, no child is. If I had grown up in these strange times, I would have had at least three diagnoses, including, I think, autism spectrum disorder by age 12. There's little doubt about it. Well, researchers at Duke University, that bastion of conservative objectivity, have discovered that picky eaters may also be depressed, suffer from ADHD, be socially anxious, and Lord knows what else. Who knew that believing you are entitled to special meals could be so complicated? The lead researcher, one Nancy Zucker, I believe that's the pronunciation, said that picky eaters tend to be more sensitive to taste, smell, texture, and even intense lighting. Ooh. Picky eaters, Zucker opined, and I'm quoting from her report, could have a potentially richer, more vivid life experience, but it could be a vulnerability if it crosses a threshold where it begins to impair them. She also said, now get this, when picky eaters have limited options at home, things could get very difficult and going out to eat becomes almost impossible. Now look, folks. What this means is that if you don't want things to be difficult, then cater to your picky eater. Oh, and don't go to a restaurant unless you're willing to let your little tyrant order a la carte from the menu. Well, here's a fact. And this is, uh, it's a universal fact. Uh, if, if allowed, I would have been a picky eater. You would have been a picky eater. Any child is a potentially picky eater. The first time a child's taste buds experience a new food that isn't sugary sweet, meaning just about any new green vegetable, for example, the child's taste buds are likely to have a ooh, yuck reaction. I had an ooh, yuck reaction the first time I ate broccoli. I remember it quite clearly. I was, we didn't have broccoli for some reason when I was in my early childhood. I think the first time I tasted, I was about six. I told my parents I didn't like it and didn't want to eat it, and they told me in return I was going to sit at the table until I did. 
But why, I whined, because there are children starving in the world who would be grateful to eat what you say you don't want. One time I actually told my parents to box up whatever it was, Brussels sprouts maybe, and send it to the starving children because I certainly didn't want it. That didn't go over well. I never suggested that again. Today, broccoli and Brussels sprouts are two of my favorite foods. And they are two of my favorite foods in large part because my parents told me there were starving children in the world and I was going to sit at the table until I ate them. Nothing better in my estimation than broccoli drizzled with melted butter. Yes. As for this blah, blah, blah from Dr. Zucker about picky eaters actually having richer life experiences uh, that sometimes tip over into what she calls vulnerabilities, that's all that is. It's blah, 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 the same old, same old from mental health professionals that you get all the time. My second grandson, Patrick, when he was at our house for dinner one night, he was four years old, I fixed one of my favorite preparation spaghetti bolognese and a fresh salad when i served him patrick told me in very polite terms i might add that he didn't eat spaghetti with sauce on it he only ate spaghetti with butter melted on it where do you do that i asked and after a moment's pause he said at my house is this your house i asked and after a slightly longer pause he said no all right i said this is our house referring to his grandmother and me and at our house, no one gets a special plate, Patrick. Everybody has the same food on their plate as everyone else because no one at our dinner table is a special person. Furthermore, we thank God for whatever food we have because God has given us this food to eat. We do not tell God that we will not eat something he has provided us. Well, Patrick looked very distressed. But, but I don't like spaghetti with sauce, he said. A whine creeping into his voice now. Patrick, I said, I'm not going to force you to eat, but that is your dinner. You are not getting a special plate. Your plate is going to look like everyone else's at this table. But I'm hungry, he replied, his wine now verging on a whale. Then eat what's on your plate, I said. And Patrick, that's the end of this conversation. At that point, he looked pleadingly at his grandmother for relief. And Willie said, Patrick, you must do what your grandfather has told you to do. That is the rule in our house. His face began to do the pre-cry scrunch. That's what I call it. And very quickly, I said, Patrick, we don't allow crying at our dinner table. If you want to cry, you may leave and go upstairs. And when you're done, come back and join us if you want to. His facial expression instantly turned from despair to anger. He picked up his fork, jabbed it into the bolognese, brought up a huge fork fill, defiantly stuffed it into his mouth, chewed, swallowed, then ate another, and then another, and then another, until his plate was clean. He then looked at me and said, Grandpa, that was good. That was the last time Patrick acted like a picky eater at my dinner table. The fact of the matter is, and if you have a picky eater living with you, you may not want to hear this. You may want to change channels at this point. But the fact of the matter is that parents teach children that being picky about food is okay. They teach children that not liking something at first taste is enough of a reason to reject it from that point on. Here's another thing. Being picky eater is rude. Refusing to eat something someone has prepared for you, even if the someone is your mother, is disrespectful. 
That person has gone to some effort on your behalf to prepare the food, serve it to you. If you don't have a potentially fatal allergy to a food someone has served you, you simply don't like it, then you should just put your dislike in your back pocket and eat it and make approving noises as you do. Noises like this. Mmm. We always told our kids that we insisted they eat whatever we served them because they were in training to be good guests at other people's homes. It worked. They were eating sushi, the real stuff, as opposed to California rolls by age 10. My point, folks, is that contrary to what the esteemed Duke University psychologist implies, picky eaters are not wired that way, and they are not highly complex, special, ultra-sensitive children who require that parents learn the high art of eggshell walking. Picky eaters are simply taking advantage of an entitlement extended to them by well-intentioned parents who cannot tolerate doing anything that makes their children upset, which is to say they cannot bring themselves to cause their children to face the reality so eloquently expressed by the inimitable Michael Phillip, also known as Mick Jagger, You can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you just might find you'll get what you need. This is your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So, a title with multiple layers of meaning. Stay with us. 404-419-6499 is the number. I'll be back in a moment with your calls. Welcome back to the show. John Rosemond here. Our number is 404-419-6499. 404-419-6499. If you'd like to be on the show, give us a call. Fabi from Atlanta. Welcome to the show, Fabi. And what can I do for you? Thank you, Mr. John. I have this idea. It's a vision of my two boys making bad decisions or becoming troublemakers in the future uh, because daddy won't uh, play, interact, or, you know, just have quality time with them or even giving them a bath or something like that. I feel like um, they're going to grow up missing something, um, uh, it's it's a fear. Uh, my parents didn't do it. His parents didn't do it. He thinks he doesn't have to do it uh, either. Is is this a valid fear? Well, I don't know. M- maybe, maybe. Let me let me put it that way for the moment, and let's back up. How old are mm-hmm. your two boys? Four and two. Okay, and the problem is that. From your point of view, at least, Daddy doesn't play with them. He he doesn't do things with them. Uh, and this goes as far as he won't uh, give them a bath. And you are feeling, and, and I would say correctly so, they're, they're missing something here. They're missing a highly involved dad. Um, and your fear 
what you originally referred to as your vision is these two boys growing up to be troubled in some way, shape, or form as a consequence of this. Am, am I right about that? Yes. Okay. So, and your husband, you've obviously talked to him about this, and his response is, my parents didn't play with me. Why do I need to play with my children, correct? Yes. Okay, how many times have you talked to him about this? I just want some just general estimate. Um, uh, we don't talk about it anymore because I already know how he feels, how he thinks. He 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 loves them. He he uh, that it's I don't have a doubt about that. But his job and and you know what he needs to do. He he just needs to stay pretty busy. All right, that, so when, that's also a reason. So I don't even when he's at home, he he's oftentimes preoccupied with uh, job concerns. Yes. Okay. So a he says, "My parents didn't play with me. Why do I have to play with my kids?" And B, he's a very busy guy who, even when he's at home, is busy concerning his job, whatever it is. Yes, he does have to do a lot of paperwork on the computer. He, we all know that uh, the kids say, "Oh, daddy, daddy, where is daddy? Daddy's at the computer. He's he's busy working," and they don't seem to to care. They respect that I'm the one that is making a big deal. Okay, all right. Well, that's important. I mean, the boys don't seem to be bothered by this at all. Do you uh, mm-hmm. do you feel that the boys know that their father loves them? cares for them? Yes, a lot. Okay. And and are there times, Fabi, when he does play with them? And are there times when he does pay attention to them? And are there times when he acts like the daddy you want him to be more than he is? Um, Yes, I expect more. I want um like one hour I want to see him interacting for a long period of time and so they can feel that, you know, that my daddy is 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 doing this. Like uh, to me that in the future I want them to have a memory that their daddy used to play and do all kinds of things when they were little. Okay. And what is your fear, Fabi? I mean, specifically, what is what is it that you uh, you imagine to be the outcome of all this? Say, twenty years from now, when the boys are twenty two and twenty four. Mm, I would like to uh, tell them, or I would like them to to come back and say uh, the reason why I accomplished this is. Because we had our, our daddy's support. We had uh, our daddy always there with us and understanding us or playing with us. And um, I would like them to come back to us and say, we accomplished this because of daddy or because mommy too. Okay. Not just mommy, probably also daddy. Well, but my question, Fabi, is, you know, he's he's not as involved as you want him to be. 
Uh, he's not as playful with the boys as you want him to be. W- right. What What is your fear? What What do you think is going to be the outcome of this 20 years from now? Do you think your boys are going to be uh, criminals, for example, or do you feel yeah. like they're going to be bums, homeless? What What is your fear? All of those things. Oh, really? Yes, okay. I'm afraid that they're going to, they're just going to become a lot of things because they didn't have the structure of the male side. Yes, I do have a lot of visions and, um, you know, like ideas that okay, well, what about did, if they end up like this? Where Where did you get these ideas? Um, for, I guess I get them from seeing every, you know, kids right now making bad decisions and uh, the media and the news. And I'm like, did, I wonder, did daddy, did their daddy, uh, contribute some to, to their actions right now? Uh, I relate it to their past and their relationship with their dad. Well, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you're, you're slightly on target here. Uh, when you hear news reports of wayward teens, uh, criminal teenagers, juvenile delinquents, uh, overwhelmingly in these kids' lives, there is the absence of a father in the home or a, a appropriate, I'll, I'll use that word, father figure in the home. These kids are, generally speaking, growing up in fatherless homes, uh, single mothers, uh, in poverty, and so on and so forth. But I, I think you're, you're extrapolating from that uh, somewhat inappropriately. Um, in, the, in the first place, let's talk about your husband's positives. He's a loving father, yes? Yes. Okay, and he's a very responsible guy, yes? Yes. Right, and he's very hardworking, yes? Very. And and what about his relationship with you? Do you have a good relationship, the two of you? A very good one, yes. Okay, so they're growing up in a home, your boys, where they see a loving relationship between their parents. They see uh, a solid marriage at the core of the family, they see or are going to see when they're able to recognize such things a responsible, hardworking dad who models a uh, very good work ethic and who is a loving father, yeah. even though he doesn't uh, spend a whole lot of time with him because he's doing his best to secure the well-being of his family. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, okay. What I, what I just did was I took the elements of your description and mm-hmm. I turned them around. You're looking at this from a very negative point of view. He's hardworking. He's, this is my description now. He's very responsible. He's hardworking. Uh, he models a good work ethic. He's probably yes, more involved. Yeah, and he's probably more involved with you relationship-wise than he is with his boys, and uh, all of that, in my estimation, is very, very good. I mean, there have been some studies which show, for example, that the best predictor of high achievement in school is a solid, good relationship between mom and dad. It isn't, interestingly enough 
the, the highest predictor, the best predictor of high achievement in school is not parents who help with homework. It is not uh, parents who come to all of their children's games. It is a solid marriage between mom and dad, which you have in your home. Now, you're looking at the same things I'm looking at, and you're describing them negatively, and I'm describing them positively. Yeah, I didn't really pay attention on all of that before. Yeah, and let me, let me also give a little historical perspective on this. I am 67 years old, and most people my age do not remember their fathers playing with them. And yet our mental health statistically is 10 or was as children 10 times better than the mental health of today's kids. And um, we emancipated earlier than today's kids are emancipating. We emancipated more successfully. We were earning better than today's kids at every stage of adulthood. And so what I'm saying to you, Fabi, is that I think your fears are not well-founded. And and may I dare say, I think you've been reading too much. (laughs) And I think you've been thinking too much. And this is what today's mother does. She reads too much. She thinks too much. And she begins to create what I call psychological boogeymen. And she begins to think the worst. And it's what I call apocalyptic thinking. You're, you're already thinking your yes. boys are going to turn out to be homeless, criminals, axe murderers, you know, whatever. Uh, politicians, uh, horrible things like that. And what I'm saying is I think that there's enough going on in your household of a positive nature that the likelihood is that none of that is going to happen. And so my advice to you is the advice given by the British during World War II, remain calm and carry on. Fabi, thanks for your phone call. I think everything's going to be just fine. I think your husband is doing a good job of being a husband, which is job one. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. We are a parenting show. That's what they call it these days. They don't call it raising children anymore. The show exists to try and resurrect traditional, biblically-based parenting in America. And I hope I'm succeeding. You can call us at 404-419-6499. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now once again, here's your host, John Rosemond. Welcome back. We are at that point in the program where I uh, occasionally, and uh, it'll, it'll soon become often, and then it will become regular, and then it will become reliably, uh, do a segment called You've Got to Be Kidding Me. And so here is uh, You've Got to Be Kidding Me. It concerns a newspaper column that I wrote recently in which I addressed a question from a grandmother who was concerned about her two-year-old grandson's habit of biting people when he was upset. 
Now, the people that he would bite would be, you know, his parents, his mother, maybe his grandmother. And in the course of answering the grandmother, I mentioned something that she already knew, of course, that two generations ago, the standard response to a child who bit was to bite the child back. Now, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about drawing blood. I'm talking about simply taking the child's arm and uh, putting it in your mouth and then applying pressure with your teeth to the point where the child begins to feel some degree of pain and shouts out the fact that he is experiencing pain, which, by the way, is going to occur long before any bruising, or not to mention blood, is going to appear. At that point, you simply back off. So you put the child's arm in your mouth, you apply tooth pressure, The child yells and you back off and then you shake your finger and you say no. And believe me, folks, this stops the biting. It may be a paradoxical approach, but it does stop the biting. And you can talk to women who are in their 80s and 90s who will tell you this, that this is what they did when their children bit and it stopped the biting. They might have had to do it two or three times, but that was all. And by the way, the people who were bitten, you know, people in my generation, appear to be healthy, functional, non-criminal types. The fact that they all smile when they're telling the story of how their mothers or grandmothers stopped their biting uh, suggests that they were not emotionally scarred by the experience. Well, shortly after that newspaper column appeared, and my column appears, you know, all over the country about 200 to 250 newspapers. Uh, one of the papers received, uh, the, the Charlotte Observer, in fact, received a letter of outrage from the executive director of the Cabarrus County Partnership for Children. Now, this is in North Carolina. She contended that biting a child back is considered child abuse by most child protection agencies and encouraged the Charlotte Observer to fire me and find a parenting columnist who was respected, and these were her words, quote, respected by the early childhood education community. Well, she's right. Uh, Biting a child back is considered abusive by most child protection agencies, which is nothing more than a prime example of the general dumbing down of the definition of child abuse that has occurred in America over the past couple of generations. Once upon a time, and not so very long ago, child abuse was defined as something that caused a child fairly serious injury, not simply pain. Now, causing pain for example, a swat on the rear end is enough to justify a visit from the disciplined police, the, uh, the, the local uh, you know, child protection agency, who zealously proceed to violate constitutional protections against unreasonable search and seizure, as well as the constitutional premise that a person is considered innocent until proven guilty. The problem is not so much the unconstitutional nature of their intrusions, however, but the fact that no one, the public, the people, seem to be raising the least alarm over this. 
Are people afraid, uh, I ask, that if they raise a stink about the manner in which child abuse investigations are conducted, as well as how child abuse is being defined down by child protection agencies, that they will appear to be condoning actual, real, bona fide abuse? Anyway, following this letter to the Charlotte Observer, and I'm not going to mention the person's name. It's irrelevant. A lot of readers weighed in, some in support of me, some not. Uh, several weeks later, uh, a letter from the director of the North Carolina Division of Child Development appeared in the Raleigh News and Observer, another paper that carries my column. And this person, the director of the North Carolina Division of Child Development, said that my advice... Mind you now, I've been writing my newspaper column since 1976. Uh, it, it is the uh, the most well-distributed parenting column in America by far. This person said that my advice, which I've been giving for over 35 years, was often, quote, bizarre, end quote, bizarre. She went on to say that children bite during the two-year-old stage when many of them have not developed language skills, that's, quote, and that biting them back teaches, quote, if you have power, you can sometimes get away with causing pain. Uh, we are to conclude, I take it, that these bitten children, as soon as they gain a bit of power, will begin causing pain to others. This is the standard reasoning in the mental health community about such things. But th this is not supported either by anecdote or research. Aggression in children, according to good research findings, is closely associated with, get this, parental permissiveness. Now, I'll say that again. Aggression in children, according to good research findings, is closely associated with, this is the number one predictor of aggression in children, parental permissiveness. I think it is safe to say that People who are permissive do not bite their children back when their children bite someone. In other words, the research clearly indicates that children who frequently cause other children pain are likely to be children whose parents have never caused them any pain, emotional or otherwise. These are people who don't govern their children's behavior very well. As for anecdote, well... The fact of the matter is, I've never met someone who told me that after biting her child, the child went on a biting rampage. Quite the contrary, the biting cured the biting. In other words, the biting of the child by the parent or the caretaker cured the biting on the part of the biting child, and the child grew up without further incident. A Raleigh psychiatrist uh, and I will mention his name. His name is David Cole Vard. He's a very commonsensical guy. Responding to the letter from the Director of Child Development in North Carolina, a very impressive title, said that when his now adult children bit as toddlers, he had them bite themselves back. I suppose child protective people, child development professionals would have a problem with this as well. Dr. Colvard said, amazingly, they did not turn into self-mutilators. When Colvard's son first used bad language, furthermore, Dr. Colvard washed his mouth out with soap. 
And he said, to the best of my medical and psychiatric knowledge, he suffered no harm and still has very clean speech. The contention on the part of the Director of Child Development in North Carolina that biting causes other children to conclude that power and the giving of pain go hand in hand is example of the modern tendency to substitute rhetoric for reasoned argument. This person cannot prove that what she says is true. All she has is her outrage. To her and others like her, however, the fact that she is outraged is fact that she is correct. Such is the mentality of the zealot who, when in a position of power, is a very dangerous person Indeed. By the way, as a result of that column, in response to the grandmother whose two-year-old toddler grandson was biting, I was canceled as keynote speaker for the upcoming North Carolina Association for the Education of Young Children annual conference, which is the sort of price one must pay for telling the truth in these very, very correct times. So, we now have on the line, Melissa from Northwest Ohio. And uh, Melissa, you've got a question about a 22-year-old, which is intriguing. How can I help you? Well, my son is the oldest of six children, so he's never had a 22-year-old before. That's my that's my whole um, excuse, I guess, is that we just don't know other than our own experiences. He is 22, and he has a two-year um, diesel technology degree. So it's a you know a, a trade uh, of some sort. Oh, I'm very familiar um, with it. Yeah, it's a good yeah. degree. He right. He works full time, mm-hmm. but still lives at home. And um, all that he is financially responsible for in our home is his insurance on his car, um, and that's just pretty much it. He has his own bills, like he's got a student loan that he's paying back, mm-hmm. uh, he's got his car payment, but other than that, he doesn't have any financial responsibilities. My question is that what age, at what time in his life, in our life, do we start initiating this transition so where that it is um, pleasant for both of us? If we just say, hey, you need to get out, it's time to grow up, I'm afraid that there's going to be some, some hard feelings there. At the same time, he's 22, and he only has to pay for his insurance, you know, mm-hmm. so I feel like he's, he's, he's not really learning life if he continues to do this. I perfectly agree with you. And Melissa, um, are you willing to hang with us uh, during the break and stay with sure. us? And, and sure. uh, All right, then. Uh, we're out of time for this segment. This is Because I Said So, a parenting program that approaches the uh, issue of raising children from a traditional biblical point of view. I'm John Rosemond, uh, your host. I'm a psychologist who doesn't believe in psychology. You can find out more about me by going to johnrosemond.com. Our number is 404-419-6499. And uh, if you do stay with us, we'll come right back to the dilemma of Melissa and her 22-year-old son who's hanging around longer than he should. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Your host, John Roseman. Our number is 404-419-6499. And uh, we welcome your calls. Uh, we have Melissa on the line. Melissa, thank you for your patience. Um, no problem. You are from Northwest Ohio. Where exactly is that? Well, it, it's we're out in the sticks, for one, but we're in between um, Toledo and Dayton, around the Lima area. Oh, okay. Sure, I've spoken in Lima before, a couple of times, as a matter of fact, and uh, my column used to appear in the Lima paper. I don't know if it still does or not, but... But anyway, Melissa, right. let, let's get to the uh, the meat of this. You've got a 22-year-old son who is living at home. He's only paying for his insurance. What is that? Car insurance, health insurance, what insurance? Car insurance. Car insurance. Anything else he's paying for? No, not to us. He's okay. paying his, his own student loan and his own car payment. Okay. Is he paying for his own automobile uh, maintenance, gas, and so on and so yes. forth? Yes, okay. yes, yeah. So you guys are not giving him an allowance or anything else like no, that? No, no. But you, you are giving him, him the equivalent of an, an entitlement anyway. He's living at home. You're not charging him rent. Uh, you're not no. charging him any room and board. No, the only the only other compensation that we might get is because he is in the diesel industry. My husband is an owner operator and has a um, a, a semi truck, and uh-huh. that he does work on our semi truck. Um, you know, oil changes, things like that. We just buy the the, um, the stuff, and then yeah. he does the work. I mean, that's kind of our, that's our excuse for our kickback. Listen, you, this is our business. If we don't get this done, then you don't live at home for free. Yeah, and, and he volunteer, willingly, if not voluntarily, does er, this uh, maintenance always. on the truck? No. No, not always. But begrudgingly sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Why do I have to do this? Right. Yeah. Okay. So is his general attitude... Uh, uh, ungrateful. Um, when asked to do something on the trucks in our time, then yes, um, he can be very ungrateful. Um, then and then there's the argument back and forth. Well, you know, I have this and this to do, and we're you know, you live in our house for free. You know, and I and I hate this argument going back and forth because it just creates strife in the house. But at the same time, he does not pay rent. He doesn't, you know, he is, a lot of his uh, peers his age are out living on their own, and he doesn't know what it is um, to live and have the responsibilities of an adult. And all we're asking for him is to provide this maintenance on our way, means of living. And, you know, it's not always, hey, yeah, I'll get right on that. No, it's not. Right. And so he's he's not grateful, and his attitude uh, is somewhat disrespectful. And this argument is repetitive. It's occurred uh, many, many times. Right, between him, my husband, and him. Yes. Right, and, and, and nothing changes. No, unfortunately, no. Okay, do you have any idea how much he's making? Um, about $14 an hour. Well, what does that translate to so that I don't have to do the math? I don't know. You're talking to the wrong person about math. Ah, $28,000 a year, my producer has just uh, told me okay. off air. $28,000, well, that's pretty good for a 22-year-old. Right. I mean, I, I would right. say that's, you know, that's uh, that's more 
than the average 22-year-old income in America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, have you ever said, um, you know, it's really time for you to move out and we're giving you four weeks to find an apartment and figure it out? We love you, but um, you can't live here forever. And one of these days we're going to have this uh, conversation. And so we've decided we're going to have it today. Right. I, we Not necessarily in those terms. We have tried to guide him. Um, there is some property that um, is my mother-in-law's that we said, hey, listen, this is an excellent opportunity for you to buy this. You okay, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what you're telling mm-hmm. me, Melissa, is that you've made suggestions. Right, You right. want him to consider certain things. Right. Okay, but everything is cushy at home. Why should he I want know, to change I know. things? I know. Okay, so... I hear you. <laughs> okay, okay, good. You hear me, good. Because I, I, I hope I'm speaking plainly that until you speak plainly to him... Right. ...it is time for you to leave... Your father and I did not raise you to the age of 22 with the idea in mind that you would still be living here in perpetuity. Right. We left home when we were around your age. We accepted responsibility for ourselves. We moved out of our right. parents' house. They had done their job. We respected the job they did. And we, as you can tell from the fact that you are living, the consequences of our decision we made it, and so right. and you can make it too. And, and this is no longer a suggestion. Why don't you consider living it? You know, on your grandmother's property, uh, kind of thing. This is a decision we've made, and it doesn't matter to us. I mean, you you know, you put it in whatever language you want. But Melissa, you're going to have to be straightforward. You've got to stop beating around the bush and walking on eggshells. And those are very right. apt metaphors here the the uh, you know if if you want to be heard clearly you're going to have to speak clearly and so this is not a suggestion this is a decision your father and i have made and if you're not happy with it well we're you know we're we're sorry we're not apologizing for ourselves but we're sorry that you're unhappy. We would we would not want you to be unhappy. We would want you to be excited about leaving home and being on your own. We were when we were your age, but right. if you're not, that's your problem. It's not our problem. And if you're not happy with this, that's your problem too. And if it causes, I mean, and you don't say this probably, but Melissa, you and your husband have got to understand that the fact that a decision of this sort causes some temporary disruption, and the operative word is temporary, in your mm-hmm. relationship with this 22-year-old does not mean that this disruption is permanent. It does not mean that you will never have ever again a good relationship with him, that he will disappear into the world, and, and, and it will be suddenly like you never raised a child. There'll be no communication. It's not going to be that way. There will be a temporary disruption. And then after a period of, you know, everybody uh, or him going off into his little corner, so to speak, and sulking for a while, um, he'll come back and say, hey, mom and dad, how you doing? Right. Yeah. But it sounds to me like you guys are unwilling to make him um, unhappy. Is he an only child? Oh, gosh, no. He's the oldest of six. Oh, okay. Why are you so reluctant to make him unhappy? 
Well, because, I, you know, again, I think our thing is we've never had to deal with this before. He's the oldest. Okay. When it comes to number six, we're not going to have any problems with it because we've kind of gotten used to it. Um, it's just this <laughs> well, the time new... to start practicing is now. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, it, you're not saying anything that I know in my heart that that needs to be done. I guess I just need, um, you know, a professional to say this is what you need to do because that's what I know that we need to do. Okay. I am the professional. I am John <laughs> Rosemond, you know, parenting excerpt, uh, expert par excellence. And uh, I am telling you, this is what needs to be done. And that's the way to do it. Okay. Is that all you need? I you know, sometimes people, that's all people need is just permission <laughs> from sort of a higher authority, you know, or somebody that well, they perceive as you know, a higher I authority. You. Yeah. I appreciate it because, you know, you are very no-nonsense. You're very, this is what needs to be done. You don't, you know, cushion anything. And our society, we have become so um, cushioned. Oh, I know. You know, we don't yeah. want our, and I loved your little excerpt about the, the biting. That is so true. We've just become so scared to hurt our children in fear that they're going to hate us. <laughs> well, that's true. That is very, very true. And, and the, uh, well, thank you, uh, because, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, we, we, have, we have become a culture of enablers where uh, children are concerned, and it is to their harm and to our own harm that we do this. Melissa, thanks for being on the show. You were a great thank caller. Thank you so much. Th thank thank you. you, and you're welcome. Um, John Rosemond, and the show is called Because I Said So Once Again. Our number, if you'd like to call and be on the show with questions or comments, four zero. I was told recently, don't say O, oh, that's incorrect. So it's four zero four four one nine six four nine nine. Uh for more information about me and the show, you can go to johnrosemond.com. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, um, my name is rather unusual. There aren't that many Rosemonds in America. It's R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D, johnrosemond.com or parentguru.com. Um, I'm a very active public speaker. In the next uh, month or so, I'll be speaking in New Bern, North Carolina. And my speaking calendar is online. Uh, you can uh, go to johnrosemond.com again and get that. Uh, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Chicago, Illinois, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Richmond, Virginia, Johns Creek, Georgia, Anaheim, California, and then somebody's got to do it, Hawaii. Uh, we are a weekly show at uh, 5 o'clock p.m. Central Time and stations all over America. Again, American Family Radio, my producer, the inimitable Rich Rosel, with assistance from Lisa Wysakowski, who is my managing agent in Buffalo, New York. Our calls were handled by Thomas Rosel, and uh, I'm John Roseman. You can find out more about me by going to johnrosemond.com, johnrosemond.com, psychologist, syndicated columnist, author, public speaker. And now, Radio Talk Show host, thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again next weekend. Why? Because I said so. From Creative Genius Productions and American Family Radio Network.